name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please sit. Yes, on this St. Thomas Day, transferred as it is from the 21st of December in the prayer book to now in line with the whole of the Western Church on July the 3rd. The other disciple told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and in my hand in his side, I will not believe. I've always had a sneaking sympathy for poor old Thomas, who it seems to me has a bit of a rough deal. Somewhat, I think, undeservedly, I would certainly contend. As I said a moment ago, his day used to be on December the 21st, lost in the commercial hysteria in the run-up to Christmas, but now transferred by courtesy of the Roman Catholic Church and even common worship to today, July the 3rd. Secondly, he has always been nicknamed, hasn't he? It's become a feature of the English language, Doubting Thomas. I think, again, somewhat unfairly when in fact he's an important icon of a certain kind of faith. It might be the sort of faith that you and I have, if we have one at all, and as I hope to show in a few minutes. Thirdly, and incidentally, I was told this morning that there used to be a church just around the corner from here named St. Thomas the Apostle, burnt down in the great fire and never rebuilt. Poor old Thomas. So let's try to reevaluate him a little on his day, as much for our sakes as for his. He's mentioned, of course, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's in John, in John's gospel, John the contemplative, that we get a fuller picture. Well, in John chapter 11, Jesus, you remember, is summoned to go to Judea and to Jerusalem in the south, to the bedside of the dying Lazarus, who eventually, of course, dies before he gets there. But the other disciples caution Jesus, saying to him, Rabbi, the Jews you know, they're set on killing you, and they're seeking to kill you and stone you. Surely you shouldn't go there again. But their caution does not prevail. Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem and all that it will involve. And so Thomas, dear old Thomas, says to the disciples, come on, let's go along with him, that we may die with him, this Jesus. Now that's trust. There's old big mouth Peter bragging, you remember. He would have even prepared to go to death with this Jesus and then two days later denies him three times. Here's old Thomas says, come on. Let's be prepared to go and die with this Jesus if necessary. Then later again in John's Gospel, when the disciples didn't know what Jesus meant that night before his crucifixion, when he said, you remember, that he was going to leave them, going to prepare a place for them, as he says, and he concludes by saying, you know the way where I'm going. Well, of course, all the other disciples, just like I used to do when I was a little boy, if I heard somebody use a posh word or a difficult word, I used to pretend I knew what it meant. It's only as you get older that you're prepared to say, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) All the other disciples, oh, yes, yes, Jesus, yes, yes, yes. Not old Thomas. What does Thomas say? 
Come off it, Jesus. We don't know where on earth you're going. How the heck can we know the way? And so he elicits that marvelous direction from Jesus. I, Thomas, I'm the way, ducky. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And so we get the directions for the spiritual journey, don't we? Not from textbooks, maps, or tourist guides. That's all second-hand knowledge. No, Jesus and a relationship with him, that's the way to true, fulfilled life. Yes, stick with him. So I think this all requires a very special kind of faith and trust, not in the system, but in a person. And so to our famous story in the gospel reading today, when on hearing the claim of the other 10 disciples, oh, we've seen the Lord, Thomas demands a first-hand encounter with Jesus, not some second-hand evidence, however convincing. So just for a few minutes, what constitutes a living faith, a Christian faith? What constitutes a living faith in God? What is faith? Faith, dear friends, is not the opposite of doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And we're not in the certainty business as disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because when it comes to relationships, that we can never be certain. I can never be certain she loves me, and she can never be certain that I love her. That's a kind of proof you'll never have. Because Christianity is more a relationship than a religion. Relationship with a person, not a religion of rules and regulations in a book, let alone carved in stone. Secondly, in relationships, there's always an element of mystery and the unknown. You cannot prove intellectually or for certain that someone loves you, as I said a moment ago. And it's interesting, isn't it? In a court of law, proof beyond reasonable doubt would suggest that even in the most proven cases, there's always an element of doubt. Never fully proven. That is true of relationships with one another. It's true of our relationship with God. And then again, I love a phrase of Frederick Beekner, the Presbyterian wordsmith, who says, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. I love that. Why do I love it so much? Because it keeps you moving if you've got ants in your pants. And that's what the doubts and the questions are intended for, to keep you on the moving. Yes, and proof is that something's alive is whether it moves or not. And the proof of whether your faith and mine is a living faith is whether it moves us and we ourselves are on the move and moved by it. In other words, a journey of exploration. That's the spiritual life. That's the life of the Christian disciple. And on that journey, those words of Jesus have come to mean so much to me. What does he say? Now you'll see me, and now you won't. And as you go along the journey, there are moments when I think I see him. <laughs> and then, next day, I'm not so sure. Now I see you, now I don't. 
in an ever-deepening relationship. And finally, although our Christian journey, we necessarily begin with an element of second-hand faith, the bishop at your confirmation says, now do you believe from your own heart and from your own mind? We all need God-parents to kick-start us in this business of trust and faith. We need mentors as we grow up. We need iconic figures who point away from themselves to the ultimate truth. But ultimately, there's no substitute for a first-hand encounter with the other, the significant other, the risen Lord. Do you remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John? Again in John. After she recognized that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, she rushes off to the villages and tells everybody. Some of them, of course, come and spend a couple of days with Jesus, whom they invite to stay with them, and he teaches them. After two days, the men say to the woman, you know, <laughs> it's no longer now because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we now know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Dear friends, that's the end of a long journey, not just two days as a Christian disciple, but a lifetime. Now we know, now we don't, now we see, now we don't. So what is St. Thomas saying on that night when he encounters the risen Lord? He's saying to those other disciples, look, I don't want a second-hand faith. I want a first-hand faith and a total trust in this person, Jesus. That's what faith means to me. I want to know with the knowledge of the heart and not just the knowledge of the mind. And that will take a lifetime. And so with us, we need to press onwards from faith through doubt to a deeper faith and then again through more doubt to an ever deeper faith. As St. Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know even as we are known. So faith, dear friends, is not a product. You don't lose it, you don't get it. It's a long lifetime's process of a relationship with the other, other with a capital O, other infinite mystery, infinite mystery, but beautiful, loving, and truthful. Faith is something you either have or you don't know, but it's like trust. It needs to grow, and tradition tells us that in Thomas's case, it grew wonderfully. Tradition tells us once he had that first glimmer of first-hand faith. Where did he go? He went to India. That's a long journey. To India, to others, to give to others what he'd first received, so that like the men of Samaria, they might no longer believe because of his words, but discover for themselves in a life of faithful discipleship that it really is true. This Jesus is himself the way, the truth, and the life. And he founded, still to this day, the Martoma Church, the church in India 
of St. Thomas. And tradition also tells us that he followed Jesus all the way. Yes, he did eventually die with Jesus, as he said he would, as he had prophetically said when Jesus set out for Jerusalem to his death and through death to resurrection. So, today, in the meantime, what about you? What about me? I'd like to think our prayer today is the prayer of that unnamed man in the New Testament who says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Until at the last, with the vision of God, we shall finally say from heart and mind, along with Holy Thomas, my Lord and my God. Amen.